all, you can't really talk about the early second wave of the women's movement without talking about This is a WLRN extended interview. Welcome to this WLRN extended interview segment with my guests, Giovanna Capone, Sherry Golden, and Vanessa, three lesbians who marched in the San Francisco Dyke March in June of 2018 and were violently attacked by transgender activists. I did this interview by phone on Thursday, October 25th. The stories they tell of their treatment on the streets of San Francisco, a town that is known for its historical support of gay and lesbian culture, are shocking and unbelievable. This is why it is so important to support independent feminist media like Gender Trender, Feminist Current, and WLRN. Thanks for listening to this discussion in its entirety and spreading the word about this kind of treatment until the mainstream becomes aware and our society finally decides to accept and love lesbians for the lovers of women that they are. with me three lesbians who marched at the Dyke March in San Francisco on June 23rd and they are each going to introduce themselves and talk about how they became interested in going to the Dyke March and uh, their story of what happened at the Dyke March on June 23rd. So Giovanna you were going to introduce yourself first? Yeah, I'm Giovanna Capone, and I'm a radical lesbian feminist and librarian and writer and a few other things. 
And I have been living in Oakland, California, right near San Francisco for many years. And I've participated in the Dyke March almost every year, pretty much. Um, so the Dyke March is on Saturday night, and the big gay pride march is on Sunday. And Friday night, there has been a trans march for the last, I don't know, several years. So the Dyke March was gearing up to happen on June 23rd, and I thought it would be awesome to march this year, and I thought it would be also really important because we have so many issues going around in the community and so many, you know, important, significant things happening. So I put out an email to everybody that I thought might be interested in my uh, Yahoo contact list, and I guess I came, I came up with about 31 lesbians that I thought might want to march, and I emailed everybody an invitation. And um, I guess I heard back from maybe 10 or 12 women that said yes, and there was a couple of women from Facebook that I knew that I also invited. And I talked about, hey, let's bring signs, I'm going to make a sign that says lesbian visibility, lesbian power, lesbian pride. Um, there was some discussion about what signs to make. And um, one of the women was Max, and she cautioned against certain signs. So basically I heard from about 10 or 12 women, and some of those women were on Facebook. So we weren't all in the initial invitation conversations. It was basically a motley assortment of women from different backgrounds, um, different, somewhat different politics coming together to march in solidarity because we thought there's safety in numbers. And um, so I made my sign the night before, and then coincidentally that afternoon I was doing a radio program for WLRN, and we were recording that afternoon. So as soon as I finished that radio program on the history of lesbian culture in San Francisco, uh, about a half an hour later, Sherry and Vanessa knocked on my door to get together to go down to the place we were meeting the other women. And we had our signs, and we went down to the BART station, which is the train, and met up with the other women. And it's a long story, but basically we marched for about an hour and the whole way there was a very hot day in San Francisco. We were bullied and harassed by an increasingly growing crowd of young women and men claiming to be women marching as lesbians in this parade. It was only about 10 or 12 in our group, and we were not a big cohesive nuclear unit. <laughs> we were just kind of spread out across the street together, but the harassment began pretty immediately, shouting at us, um, turfs go home, you know. Uh, what made them think that you were turfs? What did your sign say exactly? Well, my, my sign said lesbian pride, lesbian disability, lesbian not queer. And I'll let the other women speak for their signs. But um, so we marched for approximately an hour, and that whole time we were harassed and um, 
Two of the women were shoved to the ground, and they will be speaking about that. Their signs were torn up. Another woman was shoved also, but I don't believe they took her sign. But there was a, a woman with a bullhorn screaming at us, tear down their signs, tear down their signs, tear down their signs. And the other people complied and tried to go after us and trip us and, uh, you know, basically intimidate us the whole way. So that's what happened. I, at a couple of points, I tried to go get a police officer. There were police officers spread throughout the crowds. And I went to get one and bring him back into the crowd because Sherry was getting knocked down and Vanessa was getting knocked down. And the police at first thought that we were the aggressors. They didn't understand what was happening. They thought we were the ones starting the problem. And they almost arrested Max Dasher. They walked her over to the sidewalk and started questioning her as if she was the instigator. So the police were not, <laughs> not very helpful. Um, <clears throat> I guess that's all I'll say for now. There's a lot more that happened, but I want my other um, sisters to get a chance to speak to. Thank you, Giovanna. Um, well, this is Vanessa. Um, I am loosely acquainted. Um, I know Giovanna from years of just uh, casual interaction on social media and um, We've had a couple of kind of joint efforts um, but never really met before. So um, I had – I personally lived in the Bay Area since 1989. I didn't come out until 2004. So um, I've been to about – I calculated about six bike marches. And the last one I've been to was in um, 2012, and um, I uh, there were a couple of reasons for the gap in time, but one of them is, is I got seriously injured at the last dike march that I went to. And um, so I'd stayed away, and in the meantime, I'd moved more north, I'm in central northern California now, so I'm out of the Bay Area, and um, there's not much of a lesbian community where I am, and uh, the Cherry and I were fairly new partners together, and she came to California to live, and we really wanted to experience Dyke March together. I wanted to show her what it was about, the pride that... I remember feeling from being a part of it. Um, the march itself was something that I had experienced as a really powerful uh, experience of solidarity of women, lesbians, and, and one of the few places I have ever been where everywhere you look around you, just for a very short period of time, you know, a, a couple hours one day out of the year, uh, where everywhere you look, there's another lesbian, another dyke marching next to you and with you and, and in power. And I wanted her to, to feel that in San Francisco and such a, a magical locus of, of the lesbian experience and history. So that was our intention. Uh, we did see Javon, Javonna's um, email 
we have also sent out some queries just to, to some friends. I consider myself a fledgling, well, at this point, not so much fledgling, uh, radical feminist. And we'd send out, hey, you know, anybody else want to join us? This is where we are located in California. Uh, anybody wants to ride with us, you're welcome to come. And we really just wanted to, you know, feel some sisterhood and and uh, represent a little bit and um, make sure that, you know, that everybody that saw us and put eyes upon us knew that we were proud to be lesbians. And so we we put out some, you know, hey, anybody want to join us? We really weren't hearing from anybody. So we made sure Giovanna knew, yeah, we're going to be in the area. It's about a four-and-a-half-hour drive for us, and we made us some signs the night before uh, where, you know, individually, um, Sherry and I are together, and so we did our signs the night before. And my signs center on the social, cultural aspect of, um, and, and I knew that there would be a lot of eyes on us, and I was not trying to be provocative, but I did want to make a statement. And mine said... On one side, um, change our society, not your body. And uh, that was referring to the fact that a lot of female lesbian, gender nonconforming youth feel in our day and age now a push, a pressure, that if they feel that they are not a typically uh, conforming um, representation of femininity, then that must mean that they are trans. And my message was the opposite, that gender is a social construct. It's, a, you know, it's an idea that society came up with in order to tell people how to be and what to wear and how to present themselves. And my sign meant, hey, you know, don't change yourself. Don't you don't have to do anything to yourself. You're perfect the way you are. Uh, let's change our society, not your body. That's exactly what I meant by that. The other side said uh, the dangers of puberty blockers, and then I listed several of the dangers of puberty blockers. Uh, there are several serious health effects that are permanent and also, um, you know. Unknown, and you know, there's a lot of things we don't know about putting uh, puberty blockers into children, and that's a particular concern of mine. And um, and that's that's pretty much it. I that's what I was there for, and and that's what I intended to do. And we'll get a little bit more into what happened after Sherry makes her introduction. And thank you for having us, by the way. Yeah, thank you for visiting with WLRN. So go ahead, Sherry, introduce yourself and tell us how you came to be involved with the Dyke March or to march in the Dyke March in San Francisco on June 23rd. Thank you, Thistle. Uh, this is Sherry, and it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I came to California in February from Texas. I, I lived there for quite a few years, uh, not really by choice, but I've been a radical feminist for many years. I went to a couple of women's marches in January the last couple of years there. We didn't have a dyke march there, although I've always wanted to attend one. So I, I was excited about it, although 
my uh, take on it was a little different. Uh, I was optimistic, you know, that we would have the Dyke solidarity, but at the same time, I was prepared for uh, altercation, basically, because, you know, the San Francisco Public Library, not too long before that, had displayed a, an art exhibit by this uh, extreme trans group called the Degenderettes. Uh, these are people that basically advocate violence against any women that uh, are gender critical, calling us turfs, calling us transphobes, Nazis, you know, the, the list is, you know, long. But they wear T-shirts that say, I punch turfs with blood stain on it. They carry uh, baseball bats with barbed wire around them. And, and the public library had all of this stuff on display. So basically, they, they were emboldened by this, you know, and, and they've been taking over the Dyke March for years now and basically pushing lesbians, you know, to the side and, and threatening and intimidating us. So I, I went there with that awareness, and I was prepared to make a stance, you know, for for lesbians. The Dyke March was created by dykes for dykes, and that is a, a lesbian, you know, a non, gender nonconforming lesbian. And, and like Vanessa said, you know, the, these young women and girls are, are being pressured to change their sex, which we know cannot be done. You know, XX chromosomes will remain XX regardless of whatever bodily mutilation they do. And, and it's just so disturbing. So um, my sign was two-sided as well. On one side it said biology is not bigotry. And the other side was, you can't silence us with violence, resist the lesbian erasure. And like she said, we made these signs the night before. Uh, we weren't part of this initial discussion on, you know, what signs were appropriate or weren't, you know. And, and I had my own take on it. I, I wasn't anticipating this group, for one, you know, which, which came from all walks of life, like Giovanna said. Um, but I was there on a mission. Yeah, I'm not going to try to, you know, misrepresent that. Um, the first side of my sign, biology is not bigotry, was referring to the policing and redefining of our biological and anatomical terms, you know, that, that we used to describe ourselves as women. We were not even allowed to to call ourselves um, women, really. You know, we're supposed to be cis women. We're, we're supposed to be chest feeding and menstruators and all these other terms that they're making up for us. It's even, you know coming down to misdiagnosing and mistreating in medical conditions because women aren't, you, you know, trans women and, and trans men, as they call themselves, are, are misrepresenting themselves. But anyway, um, the other side, change, um, you can't silence us with violence, resist lesbian erasure. It, it was referring basically to this um, more violent and menacing faction of the transgender movement in particular, the genderettes, you know, who've campaigned against women and basically threatened, bully us, even physically attack us. So, yeah, we met Giovanna the day of the the march, and uh, she had just finished her her interview, so we had to rush down to the BART station. We met everyone there at the station. I had the signs in black trash bags because I, I had a feeling that there was going to be some animosity. I took them out of the bags when we were all collected there at the bar station, showed everybody, you know, to make sure everybody was on the same page and, you know, had their opportunity to not march with us if, if 
they didn't feel comfortable. Uh, Max Dashu and I had a nice conversation. We all moved on to the march, and we started uh, right on time. But it wasn't very long before we, you know, started, after we started marching that the, the one woman with the bullhorn started yelling out, you know, to tear down their signs and to go home. They all started chanting before long, hey, hey, ho, ho, transphobes got to go. And, and they kept doing that throughout the march. And it kept getting more and more aggressive. Vanessa and I were right in the middle of the, the march, basically, right right in the center of the crowd. And they, they became more and more aggressive. Um, I was knocked down three different times in the march. I, I couldn't see who it was, but they, they started bumping into us, and, and I was tripped. My sign was torn from my hands on, on three or four different occasions. Twice I ran after it and pulled it back, and another woman that we met at the march retrieved it once for me, too. My partner, Vanessa, she she was repeatedly shouting out, we're not violent, we don't hate you, we're just speaking for lesbian and children's rights. My my sign kept getting more and more ripped out, ripped up, and I, and I kept holding it up, even though it was ripped. Uh, after the second time I got knocked down by somebody, I got back on my feet, and I, and I noticed a police officer, and I yelled police twice. Uh, he came over and he kind of like pushed everybody away, so I was able to, you know, move forward. Now, um, as we continued marching, Vanessa was, uh, as they were getting more and more hostile, she started protecting me from behind, which I, I didn't realize because I was just, you know, keeping my eyes open for anybody else that was coming at me. But she was, she had, she was right behind me with her arms around me and holding on to my backpack. But I didn't know uh, behind her there were, there was a trans activist that kept stepping on her heels for several blocks and eventually used her own hip to hip bump Vanessa into the ground. Now, Vanessa was using a cane to walk. She had metal plates in her knees, and she has trouble walking long distances. So she actually attacked a, a woman with a physical disability. You know, Vanessa was saying, we're not violent, and then this woman actually said, we will be, bitch, and, and she got that on audio. Um, we, we've got some video coverage as well, but not of the actual attacks where we were speaking to the police, and we, you can see them all chanting and yelling at us in the background. Um, we kept going for, for, you know, most of the march, but a couple blocks from, from the end, after I'd been knocked down a third time, Max had come up behind me at one point and put her arms around me, and I swung out thinking it was somebody else attacking me, and then she was like, no, it's me, and I, I apologized. So she did come, you know, and intervene at one point. But by that time, you know, it was just really volatile, and we all made a group decision to get out of the march. So we went over to the side. We, we were all speaking to the police, and we asked them for a police escort, which was a little hard to convince them to do because I think they were still in the mindset that we were the ones that were the aggressors, which was ridiculous. The majority of the group was, like, 50 and older. You know, we had women in their 60s and 70s. Obviously, we were not going to be aggressive to these young 20-somethings, you know. I, it was just ridiculous. But they they did end up having two police officers escort us several blocks down. We found pieces of Vanessa's ripped-up sign and mine along the way. And uh, we all met in a restaurant, um, had dinner, and we got out of there safely afterwards. Now, the, this uh, harassment continued after this. I posted on Facebook a public post. Which I, 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 I interject 
can I interject something that was part of the, the end of the march that um, that I sure. witnessed? Well, yeah, um, when the march ended and we were all standing on the side and the, the cops were talking to us, there was a group of vocal people still screaming at us, um, you know, transphobes go home and turfs go home, screaming. And I said to the police officer, can't you ask them to disperse because they were getting more and more livid in their vehemence, you know. And I said, can't you ask them to disperse? And the police officer said, oh, no, well, they have freedom of speech. <laughs> and he also he also thought that we actually, if we just talk to each other, we'd find that we have a lot in common. Right. And so it just showed us, you know, his lack of understanding of the issues that are at hand. I mean, we're at our own back march. And I kept reiterating, this is dyke march. We're dykes. We belong here. You know, they were telling us, we, they were telling us to go home. Who are the official organizers? Are there trans yeah. women, you know, so-called yeah. um, men who believe yeah. that they are women or say they're women or whatever? Are there those Tims invo- involved in the organizing of the dyke march? Yeah, there are. But yeah, the history of that Dyke March committee is that over time, there I believe there have been fewer and fewer actual lesbians, and more and more people identifying as women and as lesbians making decisions about the Dyke March. So men, men who are identifying as women and lesbians. The infiltration started a while ago. Right. That's correct. Okay. Well, then 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 it's really not. The Dyke March. It's really not our no. march. And what you were doing is you were crashing their party, right? I mean, right. their party. The party already had the night before. Yeah. There is a joke amongst lesbians at this point that it's Dick March because we're clearly uh, not welcome, you know. Um, and that's sad. It, you know, it's kind of a joke, but it's not. It's not a joke when we're not so welcome in a environment and we're threatened with violence. So then then what do we what do we do? How can we create another march that actually is led by women that are lesbians? You know what I mean? Like how why is that so hard for that to happen? Why why does it keep getting, you know, taken over and hijacked? Let me let me make one point about um the kind of the generational stuff around because some of the people that were harassing us and attacking us were very young women. The ones that actually got physically violent with us were women. The other ones that were screaming were the men. The men were, you know, walking alongside them and screaming at us, but it was the actual women that got violent with us. And um, so there were there was a generational element, too, which is that most of these um, folks were much younger than us. But as far as our group, there were older women in the group, but there were some young women in the group, too. So um, I'm hesitant to, to chalk it up to just generational because I do know many young lesbians that are radical feminists that had they been there, they would have been marching in solidarity with us. Right, and and this will speak to your question, what can we do? We've done a lot of kind of talking about that after the fact, what can we do? 
And part of what we know we've done is inspire other women to come out more in force. And that's what's going to have to happen. That's going to have to happen for us to take back what's ours is we have to insist and we have to be ready Mm-hmm. to be confrontational when necessary. And we can't do it with 10 people. We need a lot of bodies, and we need them to be just as angry and upset and, and insistent on what's theirs as we were. And then we can, you know, then we can have a conversation about what well, needs to happen. We don't, we don't want to fight violence with violence. That's not really what we want. We just want to be able to have some space for ourselves, you know. Exactly, exactly. And strategically, is it a step in the process of getting our own space, getting the L out? Is it a step in our process to go to these so-called psych marches and have a presence? Is that a strategy that's effective for our movement? One of the reasons I thought we better march this year and, and we better march in a group uh, was because the, the nature of what's happening in, in recent years is that we are losing our lesbian spaces. We are losing our lesbian clubs and bars and any gathering spaces. And I knew this was the year. I had a feeling, too, that this, for as far as the trans activist side, I felt that this was the year they decided they were going to take over all the dyke marches, not just our march in San Francisco, but this was happening in Vancouver, this was happening in Baltimore. Throughout the country, there was a huge presence of trans activists at dyke marches, and I do believe that whether it was coordinated or whether it was just the spirit of the time, it was a feeling that the trans activists, this was going to be the year they took over the dyke marches. And anybody, they were looking, it was almost like they were looking for targets. Anybody who had a different opinion, those women were going to get harassed and attacked. And we know it didn't just happen in San Francisco. It happened in several other dyke marches right. throughout the country. And the dyke uh, marches condemned us, you know. You are listening to WLRN. Can you talk briefly about the London-San Francisco connection specifically? Like, you know, you're saying you felt that, that whether it was planned or it was just the spirit of the times, there was something happening on June 23rd or in the summer because these dyke marches and pride parades too. It wasn't just dyke marches. In fact, the thing that happened in Baltimore was a pride parade. Um, in London. Oh, in London it was a pride parade as well, and not it was. Yeah. In London okay. it was a pride parade. So, but well, can, let, can, as can I you said talk earlier, the London-San Francisco connection. What 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 was going on with that? Well, I was I was I was personally on the internet um, at that point in time trying to process. I was still trying to process. We were getting a lot of. Um, a lot of feedback from different different people, different perspectives, and there was a lot of misinformation out there, which was disheartening, and not a lot of people giving us room to talk about our side of the story. So I had insomnia and was up at 3 in the morning, I think, 2.33 in the morning, and I get a private message, 
And it was somebody who was uh, part of the London uh, group to get the L out. And she said, I just wanted to let you know that what you did, what your group did inspired us. And you're going to see when you get up later on what what we did in part because of what you did. And you inspired us. And I had no idea what they had in mind. But then, yeah, several hours later, it was all over the place. And that was something that I took with me. I think the other women can be proud of, you know, um, for their participation in in part of this chain reaction. We're all part of a global Mm -hmm. group. Yeah, so proud. I was totally, I was thrilled when I saw that. And this is Giovanna talking. Um, When uh, I heard that, what happened in London, and as Vanessa was saying, they said they were inspired by us getting our butts kicked in San Francisco. Okay, we got a butt kicked. It was a motley assortment of women. We didn't have a clear strategy or agreement. We just got together. We met the, mor- the afternoon of the march, and we went out there, and we kind of got our butts kicked. But we made a point, and we, <laughs> you know, then they're telling us, hey, you inspired us in London. And they had two weeks to, or something like two weeks to get a, a better strategy together, and they sure did. Yeah. They really came through it. And they had signs. They had a huge banner that said, Trans Activism Erases Lesbians. They had oh. a statement, get the, right. L out of, get the L out of wow. LGBT. And they were walking up and down, giving the statement out to people in the crowd. And they laid down in the street. They stopped the whole march. I mean, it was yeah. just unbelievable. I was so excited to see what they did. And and I was really gratified that they got some inspiration mm-hmm. from us. The spirit of movements and how San Francisco Bay Area has a long history of lesbians. And, yeah. you know, Lesbians. being a place where women can rise up and be ourselves and be powerful and have our own culture and our own bars and our own you know, institutions, and and so I feel like that was maybe part of it, too, was that, that place and time um, being an important part of it. So that's oh, all definitely. I can say. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, we have much better dyke marches in San Francisco, much more radical dyke marches. I was going to say, as far as strategizing, I think the L- London women did it perfectly. You know, they, they had it down to a T. And as far as taking back our own space, we need to focus on that more. Like we said, you know, we, we didn't really have a strategy. We, we were coming from all walks of life. Um, but and, and that was our downfall in a way. You know, as, as far as moving forward, you know, we need to be showing up in mass and also possibly having hidden body cams on us. That was an issue because the three times that I was attacked, the time that Vanessa was attacked, there's no video coverage of that because we were trying to defend each other. You know, we weren't stopping to take video footage of it. Um, and afterwards, there there was a, a backlash because a blogger um, put out some misinformation about us, twisted the whole story, and made it like we were the attackers at the Dyke March, and uh, the NCLR, the National Center for Lesbian Rights, the Dyke March itself, and the Bay Area Reporter all reiterated this misinformation. Hmm. Um, yeah, and then, you know, it, it was Is it, it misinformation was or is it I, defamation I made, and slander and harassment? Well, <laughs> it's, 
purposely defamation because I didn't mention our names per se, but, but after my Facebook post, which um, had over 500 comments, I mean, it, it had a couple hundred shares, there were trans rights activists and radical feminists and, you know, people in between. There was tons of conversation on there and threats and all kinds of stuff. Uh, we were trying to speak rationally to them, but, but they were just insulting left and right. And, and it got really ugly. And this hmm. this blogger, Kitty Riker, wrote a blog which basically reversed the, the whole story, you know, made us like we were the attackers there, which is just ridiculous. But um, like I said, the Dyke March shared that information on their Facebook page, the National Center of Lesbian Rights, did the same thing, and uh, the Bay Area Reporter also reported the same stuff. So I ended up making a change.org petition, which uh, so far has almost 1,500 signatures, asking them to retract their statement. Um, but without... And what, what, they, what they said in our, their statement, the NCLR statement, called what we did criminal activity. <laughs> so a bunch of dykes marching in a dyke march, signs expressing our views, that's criminal activity. Mm-hmm. That's the problem right there. Yeah. You were a falsehood. So, you know, we've got to fight the gaslighting and the bullying and and all of that, you know, with with our wits, with our logic, with cameras, so we, we can film what's going on, because obviously this is all being reversed, and the media isn't covering it the right way. They you know, they're they're not showing all the elements of everything, so we need to get it out there. You know, it really calls into question our ability to objectively interpret and experience reality. Um, I just, I feel like it's so bizarre, uh, trans ideology and how it asks us to accept male as female and male anatomy as female anatomy and how, you know, the general public pretty much just goes along with that. It 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 really um, frightens me um, how deluded and you know, kind of like flat earthers. Everybody's sort of like medieval or something, you know. Like I I don't know. Um, right. Science deniers. Science deniers, <laughs> yeah. Like climate deniers, climate change deniers. Yeah, yeah it really I mean, feels definitely. like that. And 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 it's all of our neighbors, and it's all of our friends and colleagues, and all these people in our family. And you know, it's just it's very um, I don't know, disheartening well, and odd and hard to wrap my head around. I think a, a large part of that is because the general public thinks that they're being progressive and supportive of, uh, you know, marginalized people. How are they people. able to take but, over progressive politics? How is it possible that this has money, taken and, over our progressive politics that I've grown up in and been a part of my entire life? You know what I mean? But, like, how could it be taken well, over like this and hollowed out like this? Well, the, trans, the, left has, the transgender movement long ago uh, abandoned feminism. I mean, the left abandoned feminism a while ago, so this is all part of that, you know. I mean, it's part of a bigger picture of just they, the left does not really understand what is happening, women's struggles, lesbian struggles. So 
they were right the trans- to just totally adopt this trans ideology. The transgender movement has a lot of money behind it as well. George Soros, uh, Colonel Jennifer Preetzker, Martine Rothblatt, the, the Koch brothers, there's a lot of money behind their movement. Lesbians get basically 2% of the LGBT money. We don't have the funding. They they are pushing it left and right through the media in, in all these trans-positive right. ways. That's right. what the general public I am jazz and all of these things. It's just right. it's wonderful to, to transition. They're not showing the dangers of Lupron and the sterility that's going to inevitably happen to these children, and, and all of the health implications. You know, yeah. there, there are a lot of health problems that come along with that, and, and lifelong dependency on on these medical, you know, intervention and, and all of that. Right, make money for big pharma. It's it's gross. Exactly. And I just really appreciate that women are speaking out about this and the lesbian connection to um, speaking out against this force in our society that's anti-body, anti-children, anti-biology, and anti-lesbian. And that we, I don't know, I just think having truth on our side, we don't have money, we don't have you know, clout and power and privilege, we don't have those things, but we have truth and and we have our solidarity and and so hopefully more and more of us, like you said, it shouldn't just be ten of you in the streets with these degenerates, you know, and these thugs that are mobbing and harming and harassing us. It needs to be hundreds of us. And there are hundreds, if not thousands, ten thousands hundreds of thousands of women who have our biology in common and the threat of male violence in common, it feels like there's got to be a way to galvanize and organize and get us on the streets and have us taking over essentially and being able to, you know, have a female-focused, woman-focused society for a change instead of a penis-focused society, you know? Yeah. We have to let go of our fear. You know, that's what's happened up till this point is that women have been intimidated with good reason. But if we link up and combine our power that we know we have as women, you know, that's the answer. We just need more. (laughs) So the more we have to... I wanted to address the point about um, the progressives that are basically on board with this trans ideology. Uh, There's a whole bunch of people in the general public who are just average, average Americans that really are not paying particular attention to this whole thing. They might be hearing about it. They might have inklings of it a little bit. But I think the vast majority of the American public really isn't even noticing Unless we're in the community, they're they're not really noticing what's going on, and it's creeping up, and it's creeping up, and pretty soon it's going to be knocking right on their door. But like I, I use a, I talk to the folks in my family, my cousin, my sister, you know, and they are not, you know, they're just your average heterosexual people. They are not really in tune with what's going on, and it's. So it's, we're steeped in it because it's our reality and we're in the lesbian community, so it's directly impacting us. 
But for the average heterosexual person, they're not really clued into this. And I think that um, that's important to remember because we're so steeped in it. We're going, oh, my God, how can this ideology fly? It doesn't make any logical sense. And but the average American is really not paying attention to it, you know, and um, they're certainly not hit to the fact that it's these billionaire men in dresses that are behind a lot of this and funding a lot of this movement. So, you know, that's yeah. something to keep keep in mind because we're speaking it. We're, it's on our minds all the time. We're feeling like we're being erased. Or we're losing our spaces. We're losing our ability to even define who we are. Uh, but to the average heterosexual American that's not involved but in But it will, it will affect them. It's going to affect them soon enough. I think that's an excellent point, Giovanna. Uh, we need to get out on the grassroots level and speak to the general public, you know, our, our friends, our coworkers, whatever, um, you know, not push it down their throats, do it in a compassionate way, but speak to them and let them know that it affects them as well. It's not just affecting lesbians, it's affecting all women. Right. And that's the way to spread that fire, really. It's affecting, can I just say, no. it's affecting democracy and civil discussion of ideas in our society, all of this stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not oh, just yeah, impacting girls and women and lesbians and children. It's impacting our ability to, to have civil, rational, thoughtful discussion in our society and a sense of fairness. It's not a, 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 demo, it's not a democratic discourse that, that the trans activists are permitting. They don't permit a democratic no. discussion of right. ideas. But yet they call it's us the They call us the fascists. That's what's so weird about it is that everything that they call us, they actually are kind of embodying, you know? And this is the Orwellian double speak, you know, the thought crimes and all of that. It's what we're actually experiencing here, and we need to call it out. Yeah. Well, I think when you talk to the average American, uh, you know, I remember doing door-to-door, this was a long time ago, door-to-door outreach in Bellingham, Washington, with a bunch of other radical feminists. We were trying to get something on the ballot to... uh, about pornography, to define pornography very clearly using the Andrea Dworkin, uh, Catherine McKinnon statement, which has 10 points to it. And, you know, the average person that we talked to at the doors we were canvassing understood and agreed with us that pornography harms women. Now, mm-hmm. you know, if you ask the average leftist <laughs> progressive, you might not get the same reaction. Um, so I think it's interesting. And with this trans activism, it's the same thing. If you talk to the average American that is not steeped in this stuff and you explain the situation, they usually get it right off the bat. They see the illogic. They see, you know, yeah. of course a man with a penis cannot be a lesbian. I know, but they still have so much peer pressure to go along with it. And just, it's just bizarre to me, like, our human brains and how adaptable we are and how much we're, like, co-creators of reality and how deluded, how deluded people who normally would be reasonable can be, you know? Anyway, I hope you're right. I hope people are going to wake up. 
It's true, though. I, I hear what you're saying, Thistle, but I agree with Giovanna, too, because, you know, I spoke with a heterosexual friend of mine recently about this, what happened to us, and, and all of the different aspects of it, and she said, wow, I, I really had no idea it was that bad, but I'm totally behind you, and, and I'm so proud of you. Y- y'all were so brave. But and, it's not you know, just it's, about lesbians is the important thing to take away, too, it's not just about lesbians, it's about women and children in our safe spaces right. that we need to really keep in mind, and that affects everybody. Absolutely. Well, I think that's what hit her, too, you know, because I did make that clear. You know, this affects all women. It's, it's not just about us lesbians. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's a whole generation of kids now that sex education in the schools is being influenced by the trans agenda. And there's a whole generation of kids that are coming home confused and shook up, you know, and, and parents right. of, of young children are a little more aware of this issue than the average person because they're hearing about it from the schools that their kids are going to. Yeah, That's the school, teachers, school teachers and administrators largely in my Progressive Madison community are enforcing trans ideology, you know, willingly. Yeah, well, the teachers are expected to be mandated reporters. If the parents don't go along with their kids' uh, idea about transitioning, then they can even have to report them to CPS as being negligent or, or abusive to the child. There's potential for the child to be taken away from them because of this, which is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, subjecting your child to, to harm like this is, is abuse. It's nuts. Um, you know, I was reading an article making comparisons between the uh, transitioning of children to the status of, of lobotomy back in, the, I guess, the 1920s, 1930s, when lobotomy was first being used and it was hailed as this incredible treatment for depression. Like, oh, my right. God, we cured this person of depression. They've been depressed for years. We we showed them by giving them a lobotomy, and there was uh, doctors being trained. You know, there was one doctor in, in particular. There's a film about it called The Lobotomist, and uh, he was going around training other doctors on how to perform lobotomies, and he did, I don't know, 20 or 30 of them a day. And there was all this science backing how great this was and what a you know new revolutionary treatment for depression well, obviously, we came around to the recognition that this is a horribly uh, traumatizing and violent procedure that screws up people's brains, you know. It took, I don't know how many years, maybe 10 or 15 years before uh, science came to understand that lobotomy is not a treatment that you're going to use for depression, that, in fact, it's scrambling people's brains and harming them and, and causing uh, brain trauma. Uh, so I'm hoping that, you know, the similarity is that hopefully in 10 or 15 years, I don't know how long it's going to take, um, people will come around and start to understand the insanity of this trans activist agenda and yeah. the okay, hopefully, hopefully, of children. Hopefully the lawsuits will start coming in soon, you know. Um, studies have shown that 80 to 90 percent of gender dysphoric children outgrow that and become happy, healthy, lesbian, and gay adults. Mm-hmm. Then the gray matter, they form until well into the 20s. These children are not at a point where they can make, 
you know, life-altering decisions like that for themselves. That is abuse. That is child abuse right there. And it's a whole right. generation of kids that are going to become infertile and uh, unable to have a sexual response and all kinds of other health problems. Exactly. It's a eugenics project, you know. Name it what it is. Exactly. Yeah. Well, getting back I wanna, to... Uh, let me, let me oh, mention God. one quick thing. Uh, after that uh, dyke march, there were several of us who got uh, basically doxxed doxed on Facebook, they went and found our Facebook profiles. Um, there was four of us, myself, Giovanna, um, Max, Bashu, Vanessa, and Sherry, I believe, and all four of our pictures and profiles were put on a website on Twitter called Know Your Turf. Um, so they went in and they scooped up our Facebook profiles and threw them on this website called Know Your Turf. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're keeping track of us and this is, they're very coordinated and they're very organized. And I, you know, we need to be as organized. We mm-hmm. need to be as, as connected and um, just to defend ourselves, you know, yeah. and also just to, to fight back. No, I totally agree. Degenerates are a worldwide thing. They, they've got factions all over. And, and I think you were right. This was a coordinated effort. And I really think that the San Francisco Public Library, you know, emboldened them to, to make that move. It was accepted Absolutely. by the public. I cannot believe that the San Francisco Public Library got away with that. I, it, it, it did. It set, yeah. it, it set a precedent. It set a precedent. They are feeling very well, powerful set, right now. It set us up, too. It totally set us up. You know, it set us up to be attacked, basically, because they had... That was up. That display was up two or three weeks before the Dyke March, and um, it was up in the library with the axes wrapped in barbed wire, you know, and um, the bloody T-shirts. That stuff was up as an art display in the San Francisco library at least two or three weeks before we marched. So they basically set up set us up to be attacked. When fascism arrives and really thrives in America. What will it look like? Are we already there? Yeah, I think we're a fascist in the White House. (laughs) Right. I mean, a lot of the tactics. And what you're describing is like the the public library, you know, holding up this as society's art, and basically it's depicting violence against women. You know, like. Have we arrived to a point that's like we are living in the handmaid's tale, you know? Well, the, the degenerates were peddling their T-shirts with the graphic I Punch Turf right before the Dyke March at Dolores Park, which is the pre-party for those of us in the Bay Area. We know you go and hang out all day, you do a little whatever you do to make yourself feel good and ready to party. And that was the, the, the setup. You know, that was what, that was sanctioned basically by Dyke March, um, to peddle those things. And then they also, you know, part of who was, part of, uh, the person that was right next to us with the bullhorn was, um, a known degenerate. And there were several others that I was able to identify in my pictures from that day. Um, so, you know, they were everywhere. They were everywhere, and they are everywhere. They're global. 
Um, so I can't really emphasize enough about the amount of PR and money that they have behind them um, as a push to not just push their agenda, but to push us out of the way and onto the ground. Yeah. Which is yeah. exactly what happened. So, no, no, because we're in San Francisco. Uh, I just wanted to add, we're seeing this because we're in San Francisco, right? But other parts of the country don't have quite as big of a presence of this trans activism. If you go to other parts of the country, it's all the major big liberal cities that you'll see this happening. But if you go to other parts of the country, it's not quite as visible. Yeah, but it doesn't mean they're not there. Well, I think that San Francisco has kind of set the tone for a lot of politics for good. Or yes, for it bad. has, and it has you know. for decades. It's done that, and so it's really damaging when the it's very damaging when the San Francisco Public Library promotes violence against women through its through an art exhibit. That's extremely damaging. What do we do about yeah. that? You know. Well, some of us wrote letters, you know, some of us got them to take down the worst of the bloody pictures right. and some other stuff. But then another couple of people were saying, well, wait a minute, let's let the public see exactly how horrifying this display is. If we have them clean it up, then it's going to look not so bad. Let's leave up the the display in all its horrifying elements and... um so that the public can see what it's about. So, yeah, you know, there's different... I emailed the San Francisco Public Library myself. I, I got some form response, you know, well, we removed the bloody T-shirt that says, I punched turfs, and now we, we deem it acceptable. So I emailed them a second time, and I said, well, what about the barbed wire baseball bats and, and the hatchets and all of the other weapons of violence against women? Do you think that's okay? And I received nothing but crickets after that i guess they did think it was okay okay yeah well you know there was a leading post there was a leading post on their facebook page and they were deleting they deleted about 90 percent of our comments that that gave them low reviews and we weren't coming on there attacking them we were just saying how disgraceful it is for a public library to be displaying as an art exhibit violence against women yeah, we, we were speaking rationally, logically, but they deleted our replies. Um, I was banned from commenting from there, and, and I said nothing really inflammatory, but, yeah, they did that to several of us. Well, you know what? Thank you for being the voice of reason and for your steadfast dedication and love and commitment to women and for talking to me tonight about what happened on June 23rd at the Dyke March, but also the larger picture and the culture and what we're facing. And um, I hope that there will come a day when we can all march together in safety, in joy, in freedom on the streets and feel proud and alive and good and I just hope that that day comes, and it can't come too soon. Thanks, Sissel. Thank you, Sissel. We love you. Okay. Have a great night. Keep doing your work. 
Okay, you Take too. Care. Ciao. You. Bella. All right. Thanks for listening to this WLRN extended interview with Giovanna Capone, Sherry Golden, and Vanessa, three lesbians who marched in the San Francisco Dyke March in June of 2018 and were met with violent anti-woman and anti-lesbian backlash. This is Thistle Patterson. You can follow WLRN on Facebook, Twitter, WordPress, and Tumblr. We love hearing from our listeners, so if you'd like to get in touch with us, send an email to wlrnewscontact at gmail.com. Thanks for staying tuned to Feminist Community Powered Radio. Destination